0: Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday night, as I am joined tonight by a very special guest, friend of the program of course uh i were you the first person or the second person that ever came onto the pickaxe and i was pod? the
1: I, first person that's, that's right yeah hey that's
0: awesome man well hey that was back on like march 1st march oh, 2nd been, ish it's been that long wow i know it's uh, like time has just fly flown it's it's been uh it's been crazy you're here you're hearing the dulcet tones of mark schindler he's at m schindler nba make sure to go follow him on twitter uh premium hoops does the Indie corn Rose podcast with Caitlin Cooper does such an awesome job over there uh, has some uh, stringent food takes is, is how I will describe it. <laughs> that is a fair uh, way to put it. I, I, I need to, uh, I need to get to the bottom of, of one of these man. Uh, you, you said that you don't dip your cookies in milk. What is I wrong think, with
1: you? Okay. I actually think there's nothing wrong with me with that one. Um, there are some takes <laughs> I have where they are questionable with this one. I, am a big texture person. Right. So mm. I already like, I mean, drinking milk is kind of like psychotic behavior already, but like, if, I mean, if you're going to drink milk that has chunks and like bits of cookie in it, you just, that's, that's awful. I don't understand mm. that. Well, here, here's the you...
0: thing. Like it's a chocolate chip cookie. Like that's, that's the thing. It's like, okay, that's, that's what I'm I usually would associated say.
1: with. Okay. Eat a better right. cookie. Eat a better cookie that's not dry. Eat a cookie what? that's like soft and like you don't have to dunk it in milk to, to make it edible. Like that's my way of looking at it. Like, don't eat it. Chips Ahoy is like the worst thing on the planet, man. Like it's so dry. I, I will so say
0: if you get the if you get the chewy Chips Ahoy, it's different, but the, the dry ones, the, the crumbly ones, are like awful. Yeah, I I could see that. But okay. Here what's the what's the food take that you think that you have been flamed for the most? Is it pasta? Oh, I don't
1: like pasta. It's definitely oh. pasta. Pasta gets uh I get added in pasta things on Twitter all the time now. It's, That's uh, hilarious. It's it's honestly really funny, man. It works out okay.
0: It's 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 awesome. It's it's something great to be known for because it's so innocent. Like it, it's it's a lot better than being known for some dumbass. T- yeah, <laughs> stuff like like, like having background conversations that people were recording on ESPN. Like that's like being known for that or something racist or anything like that. That's there are so many more innocent things that you can be uh that you can be known for. So I, I'm glad that you have you have skipped sca- like just scraped by Mark Schindler. It's it's uh, <laughs> you're you're doing okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well we we just both got done watching the Suns and the Bucks game. One uh the Suns take that one. I don't think that was a surprise to anybody. Uh just based off of the the fact that Giannis was coming off of injury, it was going to be pretty difficult for them after like they they had a pretty tough road to get back to where they were. A lot of drama with the Suns or with the Bucks, excuse me. And the Suns haven't really had a lot of drama going on. So them taking their first game at home, I don't think is a surprise. Was there anything that happened tonight that really threw you off?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, first and foremost, I was surprised that Giannis played tonight. Uh, yeah. I didn't think he looked bad, but he also just clearly was not himself. He wasn't moving the same way that he normally does. Um, there were a couple of times where I was just like very nervous for him, you know, like anytime he landed or, he had a couple moments where he grabbed at his knee, which you never like seeing that. Um, it just reminded me it reminds me way too much of watching KD come back in the 19 finals. Um, mm. and I don't like making that comparison because I don't want Giannis to get hurt. I hope he doesn't. I hope everything's okay. I uh I trust that the medical staff made the right decision. Um, you know, we're not the we're not the medical staff, so we, we don't really know, but at the same time, it's just clear that he's not himself. Um you know, he played, it seemed like he was on a minutes restriction. And I mean, Chris Middleton played almost 45 minutes. And I think Giannis played 32, considering it's, you know, I mean, 35, but considering. Yeah, yeah, finals, like, I, I
0: was like, surprised that he got up to 35. Like yeah. it, it, you you are right that he was, it, it looked like he was a little bit hampered. He was, he didn't have ex, his same explosiveness. Like he did have that incredible block and transition, which LeBron-esque, I, I will say a hundred percent. But Chris Middleton was good. Uh, he wasn't great. He was just good. Uh, Drew Holiday. Uh, uh, we, <laughs> yeah. Just a lot to talk about there, man. Was, like, it's I, painful. But I will say, here. here's something that can be positively taken away from the Bucs side of things. Giannis, plus one in 35 minutes in a 13-point loss. They need to have better answers when he's off the floor. Uh, Brooke Lopez played 23 minutes. Like still scored seventeen points, but was a minus seventeen. Was a team worst minus seventeen. Uh, there needs to be a better answer than him. Bobby Portis got cooked by Chris Paul. Uh, we should talk about Chris Paul. Like that that dude just. Oh, I, it's the the grifting and the the Jay Crowder stuff makes me upset. It's it, it's it's something that I don't personally like about the Suns, but everything else I like about the Suns, and it's hard to dislike anything about Chris Paul's other aspects of his game right now because he is just kicking ass like just just unbelievably so what it was stood out last from two ball? games
1: combined have been ridiculous man I uh yeah it's kind of funny because it goes in hand in hand with with Brooke for me um I didn't think Brooke played bad tonight um to be completely honest I think a lot of it has been Um, I mean, partially I just get frustrated with with the way we talk about drop defense in general and and just uh, the way we look at bigs. And I'm sure you get the same from from looking at Denver, like when that whole thing went viral from freaking ball. Don't stop on uh, Jokic Uh, literally just doing what he's supposed to do on defense. And Chris Paul hits hits the shot that he's known for hitting like that's 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 basketball. It happens. Um, What I got mostly. I mean, like, yeah, Chris really started to hit shots down the stretch, especially in, you know, the second and third quarter, he really heated up. Um, he did hit a lot of shots over Brooke. Uh, but also, like, the biggest thing that I got frustrated with is Milwaukee keeps soft switching that, like is it, they automatically switch, That like, I, you know, I tweeted it out at the beginning of the game. They went to the Aiton CP3 pick and roll for, like, I, I think it, it, it was, like, 13 of the first 15 or 16 plays during the game. And everything they went to was to try and get Aiton wide open down low with P.J. Tucker in front of him. Um, And it's less about, you know, they're not finding Aiton immediately. But even if they do that, you draw Brooke out from the paint. And I still think he was doing a good enough job of contesting Chris's shots. He just was on one tonight. Um, But the problem is if they start kicking the ball around, they get open driving lanes, and then nobody's there at the rim. Because as good as – I mean, P.J. Tucker is a fine individual post defender. But, I mean – all it takes is for any kind of rotation to happen. And there's a wide open look at the rim. Um, So I don't know what the bucks are going to do to solve that, but I really would like to see them stop some of the soft swishing crap because it just like they gifted Phoenix so many points tonight. Like everything Phoenix does feels like it has a purpose on the offensive end. And the bucks just that we, we, I mean, we can talk more about their, their offense in, in a bit, but with Chris Paul, awesome game from him, but also I just think like, I've, I've gotten frustrated with the draft defense discourse. We cannot have one person score a bucket from 18 feet without saying that so and so's big is freaking washed or something. And It's just it's not true. Chris Paul was awesome. Like that's I think it's that simple tonight. Um, Chris Paul was really freaking good. Um,
0: yeah, there there are just certain things, and and I think one of the things that really has stood out in these playoffs to me is just if you have a playmaker, a guard playmaker. Who can tear apart, spread, pick and roll? Yep. Then you are just so set up beyond everything else. Like I think that's it's to the point where I think a an all star caliber guard is more valuable than an all NBA caliber center, just because there are, there are so many guards out there. And 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 I, I, I realize that I'm talking about a guy like Jokic here, and like I. MVP is a little bit different because, like, like yeah, Jokic, Jokic is, is just like
1: above being all NBA. It's just like as it's a different as brand. is
0: Embiid. But like when you get down to that next tier of guys, like Gobert, Aiton for one, though he's like it's hard to lump him into this while he's doing so well. Uh Bam, uh Sabonis. Like there, there's all of these guys that are really, really good. They can be taken advantage of in this in this spread pick and roll scenario, as you have as like it's there's nothing they can do about it. There's nothing that anybody can do about it because all of this is five-on-five five related. These teams are so good. Chris Paul is so good. Devin Booker has, like, they've they've done such a great job of passing ahead of all of this stuff. And then even when you get into a scenario where it's just isolation basketball, like, you'd be okay most of the time if, like, Chris Paul is taking a step-back jumper or taking just just a pull-up three over somebody that's, like, 6'11". But it's just he's playing at a completely different level right now that a lot of people are giving him credit for. Uh, yeah. This is a better version of Chris Paul than I think we've ever seen. Like, or at least we've seen in a long time, a, a long, long time. He is just at this level doing such incredible things. This is the most impactful thing I've, I've seen from him in a while.
1: Yeah. It's um. I mean, he's, it's hard to gauge. Like he's been so good throughout his career, but seeing him do this at, at this stage too. And what's wild is like the uh um the fluctuation that there's been from him in the playoffs i mean he went from hardly being able to shoot a jump shot in the first round part of the second round to uh you know we had a really good close to that second series but then uh he struggled quite a bit in the last series and then has a 41 point game to close out um on ridiculous efficiency and now this too uh like he's been fantastic when they need him most and uh, that stood out a lot to me, but yeah. I think what's what's wild to like, oh, I keep saying wild. but what's been uh, what stands out a lot about Phoenix's offense, too. Um, it's like you're mentioning with Chris, I think that's a great point. Like a, a guy who can put a, a defense in rotation is so valuable. Um, and it's just really hard to, to counter that. But what's even more difficult is even with, I mean, Jay Crowder went 0 of 8 tonight, 0 of 5 from three. Um, They really could, even if they played off of him, like it didn't matter because Jay Crowder moves the ball so well, even if he's not taking a shot, like he just makes quick decisions. Um, Like there's no real, I I wouldn't say that there isn't a weakness in Phoenix's offense, but in a way there, there isn't like, what are you supposed to do defending them in some ways? If Chris Paul gets where he wants to go, which happens most of the time, or, or Devin Booker does. Okay. Well, they're, you know, three and a half shooters. I mean, I would consider Jake Jake as a shooter, but like, you know, it just depends on whether or not it's going in that night. But then even if that's not available, like you get the, the rim pressure from Aiton as a lob threat or just rolling into the paint. And he's so smart floating in space too. Um, it's so hard to defend what they do. Uh, and even, I mean, like Booker had a pretty good game night. He missed a, everything from three. And that's what's so, so difficult in looking at this game too. I mean, Phoenix shot 32% from three tonight and they won by almost 20. Like um it's it's not it was not a good first game for the Bucks. I think would be a, the easiest way yeah. to sum it up.
0: Uh there, there's just a lot to think about there. Uh I think if if I were the Bucks, if I were trying to recover from this, uh Brook may not be able to play a ton uh unless he's able to hedge and recover, unless he's able to Kind of play more of more of a up the floor role, and to try to get them to have Aiton be the playmaker. Uh, One thing that stands out in just looking at their box score, you've got 25 of 26 at the free throw line, uh, but Aiton had zero assists. McHale had one assist. Jay Crowder had zero assists. Uh, Even Campaign had zero assists. Uh, Cam Johnson was was really good tonight. He had two. Uh, They only had 18 assists tonight, which if you are a playoff caliber defense, you'll take that. Uh, So much of it was just getting some bad luck at the free throw line and the bucks. Like if, if the suns shoot 20 of 26, then maybe it's a different story. And maybe, maybe we're talking about this game a little bit differently. Um, Also the bucks need to not go nine of 16. They need to get to the free throw line a little bit more. Uh, There's just like, one of the things that, like you said, stands out about the Suns, they have a counter for everything. They have it. They have an answer for everything, offensively, defensively. They can go small. They can go big. We'll see what happens with Sarich uh, because he did – I think it was a sprained ankle, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah. if he is out for a significant period of time and they are asking Tory Craig to go play small ball five along with Jay Crowder, then there are some opportunities, I think, for the Bucks to make up some time. Uh, but Aiton has shown that he can play high, high volume of minutes and not get into foul trouble and remain effective and do all of those things. So if you force Aiton to play 40 plus minutes for the entire rest of the series, then maybe that changes his effectiveness towards the end of it. I don't really know, but this, these are hard questions. These are things that the bucks are going to have to figure out. Do you want to talk about drew holiday?
1: Yeah, we can have the drew conversation. Um, he has been so rough this entire playoffs, man. Um, outside of, I think part of it's been washed away because he was, uh, I mean, he's was, he was a big part of the reason for why they were able to put the Nets away, yeah. Uh, but outside that, um, he really has just completely struggled. I'm pulling up the numbers right now, I know they are rough. Um, I think my friend who who was an avid Bucks fan texted me tonight and was like, you know, he's shooting 10 percent worse from the floor, uh, in the playoffs. And uh, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the playoffs, Drew is shooting forty-two percent from three, 29%. I mean, 42% from the field to 29% from three. Only 66% from the line. I didn't realize it was that bad. But
0: That's yeah, bad. Um, the numbers from the field, numbers from three, they're the going to drop tonight.
1: They're going to yeah. go lower. Yeah, and if you boil it down to the last three series, I'm sure it's even worse. So um, really rough from him. And they need him to be a lot better. Uh, I mean, like you said, Chris had a good game for the most part. But he was like, it felt like he was their entire offense when when Giannis was sitting. Like Giannis looked honestly pretty good offensively. I uh, had a, a couple of those baseline drives right on eight, and that looked really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just so weird with True. Like he's not driving at all. Like he drives and just stops a lot of pull ups when it, it feels like he could get to the get get all the way to the rim. Um, I just don't know what's up with that. It's been like that the entire playoffs. Like, even if he's not getting the shot in, I would love to see him just go, like, get to the rim, see what happens, because they're just not putting the defense into rotation at all. Like, if you're just stopping and pulling up, all right, first of all, your guy's able to, you know, get back and contest your shot, but also, like, the defense doesn't really have to do anything if you're only getting halfway there. So, um, I I don't know. I mean, the defense was still really good from him, I mean, I'd have to watch more closely in a rewatch to gauge his off ball. Um, There were a couple off ball gaps, but uh, like on ball, I thought he was good. Um, He still did some stuff as a playmaker tonight, but like, I mean, there was the one play where he did finally drive all the way to the rim, had a wide open layup and passed it out um, (laughs) to Brooke and like Brooke hit the three. So we didn't, we didn't talk about the fact that drew passed open a wide open layup, but like he literally had jumped was at the rim and lets the ball go, And I was just like, Oh my God. But yeah. I mean, where are you at with him right now? Cause it's been a, uh, it has been rough for him.
0: I, so I I tweeted out last night that he was going to be the most dynamic guard that the Suns had faced in the playoffs up to this point, because it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty clear Lakers, like they, they, no dynamic guards on that team unless you count Dennis Schroeder. And I don't really, uh, Denver uh, didn't have Jamal Murray. Like that's, that's just pretty standard, plain and simple there. Uh the Clippers, Reggie Jackson suddenly turned into like a freak of nature. So maybe, maybe that counts. I'm I'm not sure. Maybe count him over a guy like Drew, but Drew has such a body of work and such like he, he's been in these big moments before and he hasn't shot the ball well. And you would think that maybe, maybe he's saving it a little bit. Like maybe, maybe I, I tend to think that he's just a little bit flustered with being the primary ball handler, with being somebody who like they don't have their normal lineup out there right now because PJ Tucker's filling in as a starter, like literally just guarding Chris Paul on a lot of these possessions uh, because they don't have another guard and not another guy that they could really rely on when, especially when Giannis goes and plays center. So there's, there's just a lot to think about. And there's a lot of pressure on the three main players on that roster. Uh, Giannis is hurt. Chris Middleton, he had 29 points on 26 shots. So okay, fine. Like like, good. You, you, you were par for the course. Pretty much. Drew needs to be better. 10 of like 10 of 10 points out of 14 shots. Didn't make a three. Uh, The defense wasn't really there either. Like that's just one thing that really stands out with uh, Paul and CP three or Paul and Booker was that they just didn't really feel that at all. (laughs) They were just still, they still got to where they needed to go and they got switches like you said, the soft switching didn't really help anything. So if you got Drew out there, you might as well use him. You might as well, like, have him guarding full court. If he's not going to be a great offensive player, then he needs to at least be a great defensive player. To this point, I don't think he's done either.
1: Yeah. Um, it's definitely been a, it's – it's been a really odd playoffs for him. But even, like, looking back, like, he had – I mean, it, the, the Atlanta series is probably his best series uh, overall, but even then, I mean, there were moments uh, that that were not awesome. Uh, but l- like you mentioned, I mean, I think a lot of it too was, uh, I mean, he's just being asked to do a lot. And I'm not trying to excuse, uh, that sounds weird to say excuse. Like, I think it's okay for guys to, to struggle in the playoffs. They do, you know, it yeah. happens. Yeah. Um, but I do think there was an expectation that Drew was going to provide a lot more in the playoffs. Um, I thought he did in the regular season. But a lot has just come through in the playoffs showing like he's just not a primary ball handler. And I think we saw that with new Orleans too. Like that was a big issue for him in new Orleans and a big reason for why, not like the main reason, a lot of it was injuries, but also, you know, he just was tasked with doing way more than I think he was um, capable of doing when he was with the Pelicans. And uh you see that a lot with the bucks now, like the, the, the bucks really just don't have a primary creator on their roster. uh, They kind of, get a facsimile of it with how they play Um, and, you know, some of the dynamic things they can do with having a a player as good as Giannis. Um, But they just really lack any kind of half court creation that is consistent. And you you see that so much in the playoffs now. Um, So while I do think a lot of it has been Drew being rough, a lot of it too is just the roster construction is not good. Like I don't trust their bench at all. Um, like Bobby Portis squished out onto, under Chris Paul. I was like, Oh, I was like ready to rip my hair out. And it's not <laughs> even on Bobby. It's just like, this, this is, what are we doing here? You know? And, uh, Pat it's Conten funny because, because like, it's like oh God. you,
0: you had the Eastern conference finals and you, you saw how they played against Atlanta, uh, Bobby Portis didn't play against the nets, like, but, but he, he had a really good bounce back series and like, it really, sort of kind of shows the difference between the West and the East in this case, like the Suns were like the fourth or fifth, like leading contender in, in a lot of te- in a lot of people's minds at the beginning of this playoff run. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I would have thrown Denver at the bottom of that list for yeah, obvious sure. reasons, given injuries, but let's <laughs> say they're a fourth. I think you could make a very realistic case that all healthy, like outside of Denver who didn't have Murray, you could have said that the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Jazz would have been people's picks in front of the Suns, rightly or wrongly. And like the Bucks, I just man, it just it just feels like they haven't been te- like they've been tested to the point. But like, I don't know if they they have another gear that they could reach in, at this level now. Like I I just I just don't know. I thought that they would. Maybe I'm maybe I'm overstating this. Maybe they just need to shoot better, and like they—that's fine. But like, they still shot 44% from three. What more do you want them to do?
1: Yeah, I. Are you familiar with any Greek mythology? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you I heard, heard of this? Yeah. Okay. Do you know the story of
0: Sisyphus? Uh, I actually don't know that one. Okay. Well, the,
1: Sisyphus is the guy who is. Uh, I can't remember what story it's from. I think it's when Perseus goes. Um, into uh, into Hades, and okay. he sees uh, this this man rolling a boulder up a hill, and every time he just about gets to the top of the hill, it rolls back down, and that's Sisyphus. He's like punished to that for eternity, and that's how I feel watching the Bucks' offense. Um, I, I've made that comparison a couple times on Twitter and just in general. That's, I mean, it's a joke, but like honestly, it's true. Like they, they everything that they do, it feels like it's in spite of themselves. Um, I mean, their defense is so good when, when they're able to, um, to play their way and, 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 you know, Bud doesn't do something dumb, um, because he does do a lot of, a lot of dumb shit, um, to just to be completely honest, but it that's, that's how it feels like a lot of the, like winning the Brooklyn series and even that Atlanta series, it felt like they won in spite of themselves. Um, and that sounds very narrative and pushy, but like, I just think it's, it's been the case. Um. Like their flaws are so apparent. And they also just do not do a great job of um trying to mask those flaws. But like sometimes like they just put them on full display and say, okay, take advantage of us and and we'll try and win in, in the hardest way possible. And it's worked, but yeah, like you're mentioning, man. I just I I'm not I, I think I would go Suns and Six right now. I I would have picked Sons and Six to start uh before the series. I don't have it documented on Twitter, but um, that would have been my pick beforehand. I'm not just trying to, to backstep.
0: You're good. You're good. I, I had Bucks in six. Uh, I'm looking at my initial predictions here. I said that the Suns would go up early. They would win mm-hmm. two of the first three games as Giannis kind of returns from injury. Giannis and Chris, then they turn things around. They flip it to 3-2 for the Bucks. And then the Bucks defense finally prevails and they win the title on their home floor in game six. I don't feel great about that. I really don't. <laughs> <Like> there's there's <laughs> yeah. just not a lot to like about where well, they this year.
1: change up like crazy. Like we've seen with sure, so many of the series. Sure. Like I mean even that that first series the Lakers and Suns um I mean it looked like sure fire win for uh for the Lakers early on and then it was like oh look here come the Suns like Chris Paul is healthy again out of nowhere like it's amazing and I I, I don't know. I I, I struggle to even make predictions because it just feels like – I mean, even, like, no offense to Denver, like when Denver was playing Portland, um, like, I mean, I thought Portland was going to win the series early on. And then that flips again because Denver figures them out. It's totally fine. Uh, they make their adjustments. Mike Malone had coached an awesome series, and, um, you know, it just – it just depends. So we'll see hey, what can happens. You, can you say we that
0: again for, for all the Nuggets fans listening so that they can, uh, <laughs> believe they can it or not, it is very credit. difficult to win
1: past the first round if you're playing Marcus Howard, 10 plus minutes per game. So, um, you know, but <laughs> well, it's, it's easier. It's, Michael it's Malone easier to coached a great series. Like was, was that what I, was that series. I, <laughs> I just don't what, what else do people want them to do against Phoenix, man? Like, you know
0: there's there's not a lot when you're when your stark point guard goes out and yeah and then you don't have like your best defender with with pj dozier like that that would have i think that would have helped things but i mean we we haven't really talked about the nuggets i want to get your thoughts on the nuggets after this break though um i I think i would flip my prediction to suns and six i do think the bucks get a game or two here uh but it just it just feels like at this very moment the Suns have more answers for everything the Bucs can throw at them. And one of the answers could just be shooting better than they did tonight. And that's a pretty scary thought in my opinion. So once they get into a comfort level, then I think the Suns are going to feel pretty good. Uh, it might take them a little bit to get into that comfort level, but as we saw with them against the Clippers, against the Nuggets, against the Lakers, once they start feeling it, they they can't miss. And they just look like a very, very, very good team. Uh, so I think they're, I think the Suns are probably going to win a title, man.
1: Yeah, I agree in entirety.
0: So, all right. Um, uh, that will wrap up our conversation on game one, unless you have any other thoughts.
1: No, I don't, I, I, I mean, I don't think I have anything else I can add other than piling on, uh, on some of the, the, the bucks decisions. So let's, uh, let's transition to draft before I get too, too <laughs> flustered with it.
0: Awesome, man. Well, hey, uh, thank you for doing this. Uh, Let us talk about the NBA draft after the break. All right, we're back. Pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for making me a part of your day. Joined today with Mark Schindler, doing some great stuff over at Indy Cornrows and Premium Hoops. Make sure to go follow his work at M Schindler NBA. Okay, NBA draft time. You have committed a lot of time and a lot of efforts. I know to this class to the NBA draft in general. Was that something that you have always done in the past, like with a, every single one of these draft classes? Is the NBA draft just something you like, or was it just this draft class that you were? most in particular interested in
1: yeah so it was um i tried to do a little bit last year i mean i did uh but not as in depth as i've gone this year um i i mean i wouldn't consider myself an expert or anything but i have put a lot lot of time into it like i feel pretty comfortable with about 50 to 60 guys right now and my evaluations of them like i'm not a full-time scout or anything but i uh, i've had the great privilege of being able to scout a lot of these guys uh pretty in depth so I feel good about it. I, uh, I love doing it. I, it's made me think a lot about, you know, potentially getting into scouting or doing more with it. Um, I, I love the media side. I don't plan on leaving that, but yeah, doing, uh, doing the draft work has been really fun. Just like getting to, you know, go on synergy and, and, you know, pull up three or four of a guy's games and load them into a playlist and, and go watch. Um, it's fun, man. Like getting to see somebody's game develop before your eyes for the first time, it's kind of a really special treat. Like I try and uh, not have any background on a guy, um, before I go in and then just know who I'm supposed to be watching and, and see how it goes. And um, yeah, it's, it's been cool, man. I, I really enjoy doing it and I'm, I'm, I have a, I have some cool things in the work still um, before the draft happens. And I think it's three weeks from now, which I'm I'm not ready for but yeah, uh, we're well on our way.
0: Uh, it's, it's been very interesting. And this year, last year's draft, obviously impacted by COVID massively uh, not knowing exactly how to, grade some of these guys as, as you might have in years past uh, it, it it just stands out as just a, a variety of differences that we haven't had to think about before but this year they got back to a little bit more regularity other than just the the covet testing and whatnot but uh, it was nice to see a lot of conference games for the colleges uh, most of the time i i like to think of the conference games I like to think of the uh, the NCAA tournament, I take those a little bit more than than some of the other stuff, and everything that somebody puts on film is important. Don't get me wrong, but if if you're doing it against uh, just a your small little D two school that is uh, coming in and you paid them to come and be there and take the butt kicking, that just it just makes it a little bit weird. But uh, over the course of my time just at Denver Stiffs, I've I've liked to get into the draft. I do so pretty late into the process definitely not early but especially as they as denver has gotten better i have focused a lot less on the draft from year to year just because denver's needs they've really changed they're more like free agency and and trade additions and things like that uh, but having a constant flow of young talent is really important for a team like the nuggets and uh especially as guys get really expensive so I wanted to get back and reinvested into it. Denver drafted two guys last year. One of them is only here now uh, after they traded RJ Hampton to the Orlando magic. Uh, but Zeke Naji is here. And we didn't get a chance to scout him. Like we like given, given the quick turnaround and we didn't really know he, whether he was going to be on the board or not, uh, whether he was going to be a second round pick and Denver drafts him 24th overall, 22nd, 22nd overall. And it caught us completely off guard. And I had a pretty negative reaction to him. And then after watching him and after really getting invested into his game and and then seeing him for the first time, it turns out he's actually very good. And I would have been able to see that had I been scouting him a little bit more in depth. So we are taking a a stronger stance on draft coverage at Denver Stiffs this year, and I'm really excited to do it. Uh, So let's transition into the 2021 class, which you have, as you said, scouted pretty strongly. How strong is this class in relation to some of the classes before it? What what stands out to you?
1: Yeah, um, I think what I would say, I mean, just compared to last year, this class feels pretty deep to me. Uh, I mean, the top end talent is fantastic um, in, you know, some of the top three, four guys. Um, but, yeah, what stands out to me is, if like, I, I think it's easy to just throw out oh, this guy could be a first round pick, but they are, like, you know, 40 40 to 45 guys that I'd be comfortable saying, okay, I'll, I I could take them with a first round pick and feel comfortable with it. Um, I I don't have like a great historical base. Like I've watched a ton of basketball, you know, throughout my life and, and, and going backwards, but in terms of like actually scouting, um, I mean, this is the first time I've done it super in depth. So I don't have a great background knowledge with that, but I mean, just compared to last year. Yeah, I would think so. Like even, you know, Julian Champani, um, he is going back to school at St. John's, and he was a guy who I was pretty ready to have a first round grade on. And apparently, um, I think it was uh, Jeremy Wu from Sports Illustrated had an article come out saying, you know, that he had heard uh, you know, uh, that or not from him. But Julian had, had said that he was not hearing, you know, I, I think he was trying to get first round grades. He was not getting first round grades. And that just kind of speaks to the, uh, the depth of, of where people are viewing the draft right now. Um, interesting so i do think there's there's a lot of real value towards the end of the first round and, and uh, beginning of the second round and, and just overall i mean i think there there are a lot of guys that I'm, I'm pretty excited about in this class
0: and we saw i i think we saw a lot of that in last year's class just without the strength at the top uh you had desmond bain and xavier tillman both go to the grizzlies you had the nuggets they drafted uh uh, Zeke Najee and RJ Hampton at 22 and 24. There are other guys that went of course that really helped fill out that uh, that depth of that class. Uh, Emmanuel Quigley went to 25th overall and that was a pick I think that was lambasted by a lot of people and and then it turns out he's okay. He's actually pretty good and that that's, mm. that's a, a good thing. That's a really good sign for a class that you have a lot of players that you go in the teens, you go in the 20s, you go in the 30s and you can find good contributors throughout. So I wonder if that's going to be similar to this one Uh, at stiffs. We're going to do about 25 profiles of guys that are about 15 to 40 in that 15 to 40 range so that we can cast a wide net and, and that it's good to hear that you have about 40 to 45 first round grades on people, because I think this could be very similar to last year's draft where you have guys going all up and down and you don't, you don't know necessarily who's going to be drafted at 12 versus whether they could fall all the way to 26 or something like that. So it's going to be fascinating to see Um, what should Nuggets fans expect from a 26th overall pick in this draft. Uh, Do you, are you expecting a contributor immediately? Are you expecting somebody that they would develop? Uh, I I think I have my answer, but I want to, I want to hear you uh, just from, the perspective of what kind of guys they could get at that range.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the hope, uh, the hope with any first round pick is that you're going to develop somebody who's going to at least be a rotation player, um, mm. especially at the back end. Um, But there are guys who I think you could re- legitimately project out as maybe being a starter if you're fortunate and things break right developmentally. Um, I mean, I think I like to look at it in terms of any guy that I take, my goal is to make him a starter um, if it's in the first round. And that might not be realistic. Maybe it doesn't happen, but like I I, I, would, I would hope that there's a, a path or avenue for it. Um, I think I would say too, like it's nice to have the idea of somebody's gonna contribute immediately. Like I think there are guys who you can play in a rotation or will play in a rotation, but um, it's more like, there are just very few rookies who are going to have a positive impact all around. Um, like you mentioned a guy like Desmond Bain, I think he was a four year college guy. So it helped him in terms of being ready to contribute at, at that level. And, like, you can look at Zeke. Like, Zeke was a good example of somebody who contributed regular minutes in some spot areas, um, and he wasn't great, but he provided minutes. Like, obviously, you know, the, his random uh, random showings against LeBron where he was pretty pretty good against <laughs> him. Like, not, like, world beating, but, like, he was he was lengthy, he was in front of him, and he, he didn't foul him. Like, that's positive stuff you see out of a rookie. Like, I think it's oh, more you can about, ask like, for,
0: especially for exactly, a rookie, like you said. Yeah, 100%.
1: Yeah. So I think it's more about like, OK, well, are we going to see meaningful stuff out of this guy this year? Can we get him in spots to uh, to help him contribute later on? And he still is contributing during the regular season, just not necessarily in a, like a, a massive capacity. So I think I look at it more like that. Like if you're drafting a guy in the top you know, five, I think you're you're hoping for an immediate contribution in some ways. But um, a lot
0: of the times just all, most rookies are bad at basketball in terms of playing at the NBA <laughs> level it's it's so true like it and a lot of people miss that a lot of people when they're when they're clamoring for the young guy uh, you realize hey how many of these playoff teams actually have a rookie that is contributing to their success like it's very few and especially for these teams at the top that when you when you're a team that's a top four team in either of the conferences like you don't have rookies in your rotation on a consistent basis like even faku Campaso who the nuggets brought over from uh Real Madrid yeah. like Rookie. Very good, like very good, like, yeah, exactly. A 29-year-old, 30 year old rookie, uh, who should, but for all intents and purposes, be able to contribute at a regular basis. And he did more so than a normal rookie probably would have. But he started out the season and probably, if everybody was healthy, would not have been a regular rotation player. So there's there's something to be said for that. That like sometimes you just like you've got to wait for a lot of these guys. So one of the guys that I want to talk about now as we sort of transition into names, as we transition into guys that you and I have discussed prior to that, I okay. think are, are interesting pieces for Denver. If they decide to go that direction uh, we're profiling some of these guys, we've already profiled two. Uh, I found the two extreme opposites in prospects, uh, Chris Duarte and Usman Garuba uh, and just decided those are the two that we are going to start out our, our draft coverage with on, on Denver stiff. So initial thoughts on Chris Duarte of Oregon, he's a shooting guard as you obviously know, but for the audience, like he's a shooting guard from Oregon, really good shooter, strong defensive instincts, right?
1: Yeah. So he's interesting. Um, I, he's one of the guys I'm really uh, unsure on is the wrong way to put it. Like I I know what, what he does and I, I like aspects of him. Um, so he's six six i don't remember what his wingspan is i think it's uh it's like plus two or plus three it's not anything crazy yeah. Yeah. um but it's not a negative wingspan so you'll take it um and well he is a shooting guard one of his his aspects that, that i struggle with a little bit is um he is not great at guarding up the position but i also he's not like the most athletic guy either so it's hard to project that out um but in terms of his overall scoring package like he's capable of, of doing stuff off the dribble both from three inside the arc he can get to the rim a little bit his handle solid um the biggest thing with him though is that he's 24 already um which yeah. is it it like i think that's one of the things where i look at if you're denver and i think i look at things a little bit differently than most people who cover the draft like i think you always want to get value out of your picks like like of course um with where denver's at right now in terms of wanting to be a team that's going to you know, contend right now. Um, like I don't know if I would pick Chris Duarte. Like I think if you're going to try and get a player who's going to contribute right away, I would almost rather trade that pick and and try and get a player who you can can add to the rotation that that. Has NBA experience already?
0: Who's also um, 24, but has been in the NBA for two or three years? Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: it's tough because, like, for the most part, like Colin sexton's is 22 and he's about to, to sign an extension. Like they, yeah. Chris Duarte is signing an extension when Colin Sexton's first hundred million dollar deal is up. So, like, I mean, it's just <laughs> it, it's very different. And it, I don't mean to come off really low on him. I think he's going to be really good uh, or solid. Like, I, I think he'll be a good rotation player. I don't know about a starter. Um, he is a really rough passer um which is part of the issue for him in projecting him out like he's not a guy who's gonna be run like right now he's not some i'd be comfortable running a bunch of pick and rolls or anything like he can miss some really wide open reads and even if he does see them he's not an accurate passer um but in terms of defense like he can do some stuff that's good as a team defender i really like him he's a little bit like he's in terms of actual instincts he is not like joe ingles or anything but in terms of that mold of being somebody who's not very good at the point of attack because he's just um he lacks some of the athleticism required to be a good point of attack defender um and just based on his frame and build he's not great there either but he does some really good stuff in playing the passing lanes um, he can even do some help side rim protection uh at times uh, and just makes good rotations like he does have really good defensive instincts off the ball but his closeouts aren't awesome like that's something that uh to me like if it's if you're a if you're a rookie in the nba i don't expect your closeouts to be awesome but he's a guy who is again like we mentioned he's 24 years old and he's taking he's still got bad closeouts so i don't know what to what to make of that necessarily um like i think that's something that'll still clean up at the nba level but like again if you're drafting somebody who's 24 you're kind of expecting them to have that already. Like, all right, you should maybe have you know, be, be good at, at angling closeouts and not getting blown by on those. So it's, it's a little herky jerky with me. And I personally, like, I think the offense is a good fit. I don't know about the defense because I think just by my assessment, like I would rather see a, a wing who can play at the point of attack while also being a good uh, help defender because Denver really needs somebody who is a wing size player that can, Defended the point of attack because that was something that you saw, this just just in the playoffs in general. That was a big problem.
0: Oh yeah, uh Denver just has a number of guys. Like Murray is not going to be that guy, but like they they needed the optionality of having a a Barton and a Dozier and somebody else and somebody else consistently. Yeah. Just, just having gives a lot you of way options. more
1: flexibility with your lineups. Like even yeah. if it's even if you're not starting the guy, just having the ability to. Um, to, to vary things and, and try and mix and match and force the other team to play a different way or adapt how they're playing. Like it's, it's important to have that.
0: So you would be hesitant on Duarte despite the fact that he's six six.
1: Yeah. Like it's just hard. Like for me right now where I'm at, I, I don't like, there are a lot of guys who um, I think people project as early second round that I would be more willing to, to take with the 26th overall pick than, than Chris Duarte personally. Cool. Um, but I do think offensively he would be a good good contributor
0: good shooter uh has a lot of good shooting indicators the shot form the shot mechanics are really clean and uh, playing that's... off jokic
1: certainly helps uh so <laughs> yes, there, there's that
0: yes it would uh, but hey he might not be the right fit and and denver is uh denver is somebody who like they're, they're a team that likes to go young so when when i i put hashtag old in my notes here yeah. um for for chris duarte and like it, it really just stands out like they went with naji they went with uh rj hampton they went with bull bull they went with michael porter uh tyler Leiden is actually no, the,
1: yeah, the, the last that.
0: uh first rounder <laughs> yeah we, we don't talk about that because they wanted og Ananobi really badly um but it is what it is speaking of og Ananobi, let's talk about usman garuba man let's
1: <laughs> oh yeah um usman is Awesome. He's so fun to watch, man. Uh, he's really funky too. Um, like, I think just to give you perspective, like he's maybe, I mean, in terms of perimeter defense, he's probably just about the best perimeter defender in the draft, um, which you wouldn't expect thinking about, Like, uh, he's kind of a, a four or five. Uh, I would say he's more of a forward than a center uh, at Same. least at the moment. Um, but in terms of like perimeter defense, like he slides his feet incredibly well. He's six, eight or six, nine. I think, I think it's six, eight though. Uh, he's a seven foot three wingspan, which is just like insane. Um, yeah. he's one of the best players I've ever seen at poking the ball loose without reaching in. Um, like he's so good at timing, like jabs to, to, to poke the ball loose he plays the passing lanes. Well is one of the best rotation defenders in the draft. Um, The only thing with him is he's not somebody who I'm looking at as like a traditional rim protector, which is not a knock, but it just makes it, it's harder to project him in, in certain lineups and seeing how um, how that looks Uh, like I would almost say he's uh, he's kind of like Paul Millsap in a way. Like I think he's got a a lot more quick twitch ability out on the perimeter, better hips probably, but like in terms of somebody who's just really smart in the right place you're not necessarily expecting to uh, to block something at the rim like he i think he averaged like 1.3 blocks per game or something like that with real this, this last season um but it's more like just because he's long and in the way than than having some some punch block um which i, I don't like i think sometimes shot blocking can be overrated but at the same time too it's important to have that anti gravity at the rim and I, I don't think he quite has that yet um and that's something he could grow into to, to be completely honest, but he's just not an awesome vertical leaper. Like he kind of needs to load up to, uh to, to get up there. Um, Like, yeah. Like even just looking offensively, like he's way better as a trail man than somebody who is like, if, if he's dunking the ball, it's not off of an alley Uh, It's off of, you know, coming out of the dunker spot, getting a, a step to, to jump into it. And then, you know, dunking. Like I think if he had a seven foot wingspan instead of a seven, three wingspan, he's dunking a lot less. Um. Something to be said for that is fantastic.
0: Um, And yeah. Hey, I mean, if you're the nuggets, if you're a team like, like Denver that needs defense in the worst way possible, and you see this prospect fall to you and you're like, Hey, this is, this sounds like a great idea. He played for Real Madrid, second best league in in the world outside of the NBA was a contributor there, won the rising star award for his play there as a young player. What's not to like, what's not to, what's not to think about. And then you, you'll kind of look at the offensive end and, uh, you start to think, okay, maybe, maybe we should have some reservations there. Um, uh, not a good shooter, not very skilled in terms of being able to go off the dribble, but also like there are some fundamental things that he doesn't really have in his bag, uh, from just a, a dribble around a certain player at a certain angle and not turn the ball over by trucking somebody trying to get into the lane a little bit. Uh are those concerns on the offensive end from shooting, from the dribbling, from uh, he, he has some passing skills, so I don't want to knock him there. But uh, are those other offensive concerns something that you think should limit a team like Denver from taking him?
1: Yeah, I think um, I would be a little bit reticent because I just don't uh, I don't know how he plays off of Jokic. Um, like because, like you mentioned, he's really not a shooter right now, although he has had an uptick recently because the, the real season is still going on. Mm-hmm. Um, he had he's had a recent like it just recently he's been shooting more, shooting more willingly, and it's looked better, but also it just like considering he's not a great shooter right now, his it takes a while for his release time. Um, and it, it's just pretty herky jerky stuff right now. Like his his preparation to get into his shot isn't very consistent, and um, like that's the kind of stuff that you need to be a, a good and competent shooter, and that takes time to develop. um. The other thing too, is like, like you mentioned, he's shown some stuff off the dribble, but it's not consistent yet. And it's not ready at the NBA level. I do think that's something that, that could be there for him. But again, the shot's gonna have to hit for him to actually attack closeouts. Um, he's fantastic in the short role, though. Like so good in the short role as a passer, um, just finding guys has a really good feel for the game, but also like, all right, how often is he going to be attacking out of the short role when he's playing with Nikola Jokic? Um, like, I feel like there are better ways to to facilitate what Jokic can do um, than to add a guy who, you know, really struggles with having any kind of gravity right now. And that's a, it's not a knock on, on Usman, but it's just in terms of fit. It's a little wonky. If Usman were at 26, though, he is somebody I would heavily consider because I think in terms of just finding somebody who is the best pick available, like, that's incredible Value And he's a, a guy who is I, like, I do think it, it works well enough defensively that you can, you, it, it makes sense and you just, you know, work on developing the offense. But um, overall, like, yeah, I mean, Usman is fantastic. I think I have him 15 on my board right now, um, but he's, he's a just in, in terms of guys to watch play. Uh, he's up there for me in like the top five, top six, because he's so, he, he just plays the game in a really fun way.
0: For a team like Denver that needs the the defensive wing, the defensive guard, like is he too big to fill that sort of role? Is is he somebody that maybe they add and say, hey, look, uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Aaron Gordon, but we can add this guy and maybe he can. Like one of the things that stands out about him is like the passing can be optimized from the short corner. Like that's something that I was very surprised about seeing on film with him. Like like you you get the ball to him and then he then whips it back out to either the corner or back out to the roll man. Uh, There's, there's some interesting stuff there, but Mm -hmm. I think there are ways that Denver could make it work. Uh, Jokic was such a unique player that he can make pretty much anything work on the offensive end, as long as the talent is there. Uh, If, if Garuba can shoot, then that, that sort of changes things. Like if, if you could just have him spot up and shoot threes, then maybe, maybe that's fine. But uh, I tend to think just adding a bunch of athletes and making it work seems like a good idea. Uh he's a guy that I can really envision Denver going forward saying, okay, hey, with Jokic is off the floor in the playoffs, we're gonna put Usman Garuba out there, we're gonna put Zeke Naji out there as our four and our five. Which I and we're just love, gonna like, we're just I gonna love, switch everything. Like we're just gonna we're just gonna attack everybody athletically. That's the
1: thing fine. with Usman. Like he's good enough. he's so like I think people picture like what we've talked about and just think, okay, well, he's like a good uh, you know, positional defender, but he legitimately can switch uh right now. um Like he's like, he, he's he got such good lateral quickness for somebody his size. Mm-hmm. um And part of it too, is he can use his length to really corral guys, but a lot, I mean, he is just laterally quick for his size. Like he would probably be the second best perimeter defender uh, on, uh, on the team if he were drafted right now. Yeah. Um, like Pete, I, I like PJ Dozier a lot, but if, I mean, being six, eight, six, nine, and being able to, to do what, Usman does. would will put him up there. But uh, I, even thinking about it too, him him with Aaron Gordon on the court together would be probably pretty tough. The defense would be nice, but offensively, that's that's interesting. <laughs> be tough um, offensively too. <laughs> it's a very that's a that's a mystery meet offense uh, to look at. But um, again, yeah, at twenty six, it's hard to go wrong if Usman's there.
0: Hundred percent. Let's transition one more guy uh, here before we transition to a couple of guys that you added to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna profile Trey Mann. I don't know if it's gonna be tomorrow uh, over at Stiffs. Uh, actually, no, it's gonna be later when we actually talk about Trey Mann. Um, oh no, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be Thursday. Never mind. Uh, so I just find him an interesting prospect as somebody who was on a high-profile program in Florida, has a lot of skills that you would like, and yet I could I only ever see him going right. And for some reason, like, I am I crazy about that? From just watching a few games of him, a couple highlight packages of him, that I only ever see him going right and using his right hand. The only time he goes left, he goes to a step back. Is that wrong?
1: Um, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, I think. I mean, now that I think about it, he goes to his right a lot. I need to actually pull up his. I'm going to pull up the shot chart because I have to check this. Because now that I think about it, yeah, I think you're actually completely right. But, um. <laughs> With Trey, man, he's really interesting to me. I, I don't, um, I don't really know how to project him at the next level. I think some people are a lot higher on him than I am, and it's not, it's not even that I'm not high on him. Like I think that he is um, a good player. Like he's going to be a good player at the NBA level, but I just don't necessarily know in what capacity. Um, He's just shy of six four. I think he's like six three and three quarters or six four and a quarter or something like that right now. Yeah, like that's that's um, good size
0: for a one, bad size yeah. for a two. Like that's where we're and at with
1: him. To me, he's a lot more of a two than a one. And again, positions yeah. are arbitrary. Like he's somebody who I think would be interesting playing next to a big wing. But um for somebody who's the majority of his value is gonna come out of his shooting, he really just is not a great off ball mover. Um, like Part of it was, I mean, Florida's offense was him. He like, especially after Keontae Johnson went down early on in the season, which sucked. Um, like, a lot of it is just okay. Trey, you you go, you go do stuff, um, and he does do stuff. Like, he's probably the best pull up shooter in the draft, other than Cade Cunningham. Um, like, he's so good uh, setting guys up. He's got a fantastic handle. Um, but what kind of gets lost in that for me? A lot of people like point out how good his handle is, and like, oh, he's. He can get anywhere he wants do anything he wants to do. And I'm like, I mean, really, he can't. Um, The handle is so good, but that's slightly problematic because he struggled to get by college defenders, even with how good the handle was. And he's going to a step back a ton because he can't blow by guys like he's got elite flexibility um, and ability to just get to those pull ups and generate creation. I mean, uh, create separation that way, but. He's not a guy who really has awesome burst or, um, you know, a a good first step. I I would actually say it's probably an average first step or maybe slightly below um, for a guard. And that's tough for me because it's just I don't really know how he's leveraging what he's doing into better playmaking um, because he's a really good interior passer when he gets there. Like He's good at finding guys. Uh, but he does it they, with
0: his right hand every time, and I don't understand. Do right like, I, I, I haven't really gone digging for a lot of like analysis on him and what, mm-hmm. what other people are saying about him, but it is the first thing that I noticed on him outside of the step back, outside of the pull-up game, was that he dribbles with his right hand and scores with his right hand and passes with his right hand and then he will step back with his left hand. And I, I just I didn't see a lot of other stuff. So maybe I'm crazy. Maybe this is something that I'm over correcting for because people can't develop both hands. And just because you see one hand at college doesn't mean you can't see two at the professional level. Do you want but... to know how
1: many shots he took with his left hand all year at Florida? Yes. 13. He took 13 <laughs> shots with his left
0: hand. <laughs> Am left I crazy? Hand. Like, it's
1: insane. You're not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does a lot of stuff righty. He actually shot well with his left hand, though. Like I, I'm just not like uh, the. I don't love his finishing. His floaters not really there, um, which is kind of what you would expect for somebody who isn't getting to the rim like you need his floater to be good. Um, I think. I mean, the 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 spacing at Florida was not very good, to be completely honest. Like they had a lot of athletic guys who weren't great shooters. Um, so you could think, all right, well maybe he's able to play off Jokic and, and Murray and look really good. Maybe he could run backup units, but I just don't know if the playmaking is good enough to be a, a great backup guard. Like he's a, I know the the comparison has been thrown out for, for Jordan Clarkson. Um, I think Jordan Clarkson is probably a slightly better playmaker um, than I would project Trey out as. Um, like I do think he's going to be good. I just don't quite see the avenues that some people do for him to be a, a high level starting guard. Um, and the defense is not good right now. Like yeah. part of it's like he's yeah. a neutral wingspan guy. Um, and like, if, if you have him in, in like, I mean, Jamal's like at least an average defender in my mind sometimes, Hey man, uh,
0: Steve Asperger has him in top five, uh, (laughs) NBA.com defender. We don't
1: don't talk about that. Um, (laughs) those, every time those lists came out and I saw it go up on Twitter, I was like, dear God, why are we doing this? Um, like I cover the Pacers and he put T.J. McConnell top five. And I was like, that is was wrong um but yeah um steals are king
0: baby monte ellis
1: (laughs) stop (laughs) it um but no i i mean i do like trey man a lot i just i again i'm not sure because like he's the kind of guy like you really want okay if if most of your uh offense is derived from shooting um i don't want it to be from the hardest shots i want it to be from the shots that are easiest for you to get to and the shots he takes are very tough yeah. Um, and if you're not a guy who is going to play make at a very high level, it's just hard to warrant that kind of creation um, and usage in a starting lineup. So it's probably unless there's some like massive growth in, in his uh, his driving ability and getting to the rim uh, or his playmaking from that, I'd, I just I'm not entirely sure um, where matters uh, on him as a, as a guy who's going to develop into a starter. Um, but as a backup guard, I think he could be. Really, really good. I, I don't mean to put a cap on him. I hate like sounding like that.
0: It's part of the reason why no, I, 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 I get draft, it though. But. Like, like Denver, they drafted Monte Morris to be a great backup point guard, and and that's what he's done. And he's done an awesome job with it. And I think if he was the starter for the entire season, like he's probably going to end up being for Denver, or at least for the, a lot of the season upcoming with Murray out, then it could look a little bit different. And so we're just going to have to find out. But I think you're right about it. And I have defense and question marks here. Like for obvious reasons, that's going to be a problem. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm not a big Trey Mann guy either. Like just if if I like in the limited draft time that I had to to prep for this podcast and to prep for our draft coverage over at Denver Stiffs. And that was the first thing that I noticed from a guy. That's probably a big problem. That if, if you are going to be a, if you're going to be on a playoff team, and you're going to contribute at a high level, and they're going to take away options A, B, and C, then you have to be able to do something else, and I just don't think you can. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But let's move on to two guys that you have highlighted and have said, hey, these are are going to be good options for uh, Denver. And I am very curious to hear your thoughts on Terrence Shannon Jr., because I did not – have him in mind for Denver when I started this process. And uh, now I, I, I still have my doubts, but I want to hear from you.
1: Yeah. So I actually am writing on him. I hope to have that out this week. Um, but he's a guy who's really, really interesting to me. So automatically to like, there are, I I don't think any of the big draft boards have him in the first round. Um, I personally would have him on, on a first round grade. I know a lot of scouts who would as well. Um, I think like he's the guy who I look at that would be absolutely perfect for Denver. He's six six, I think he's a six eight wingspan, um, which on its own doesn't sound like anything crazy, but he's the guy who I look at, especially with where the NBA is going now. Um, he's very coverage versatile, so like he can play any way, shape and form that you need him to. He's great as a backline help defender. He's great as a rotator. like he's not somebody who's gonna protect protect the rim or anything, but he's good at, at getting in the way, contesting. Um, he plays the passing lanes well. He might be one of the better, just in terms of pure ground coverage. So, like he's good at just getting from point A to point B on the court. If you're moving laterally or trying to right. hit a closeout, he's near the top in terms of doing that in the draft for me. Um, and I think that on its own is super valuable. And he's a fantastic point of attack defender. He's really strong at the point of attack. Um, he's good at using both his hands and his feet to defend. Uh, which is something that you're always looking for for guys because a lot of guys are only doing one or the other um and that's how you get caught uh i mean i think he would come in and a i mean just with his size and where he's at he would provide a lot of lineup flexibility that that denver doesn't have right now um and also with his offense like i think a lot of the hangups for him with people his shot is it, it needs a rework um like he has right. Uh, the way that he shoots makes it very, a very difficult to get shots off in time and b, um, it, it just doesn't provide any kind of dynamic shooting like it's strictly catch and shoot because it, the way that he shoots it like he has a it's, what it's called valgus collapse is when your your knee goes inward so one of his knees goes inward when he shoots, which makes it very hard to do it coming off movement and having it look okay. Um, but he got to a point this year he still passes out of some threes, but he got a lot more comfortable taking them. I think he was taking four per game after taking only like one or two as his freshman year. He shoots well from the free throw line. Um, and I just think we've seen enough of a track record of guys going from non shooters coming into the NBA to being shooters. Um, and like Terrence shot, I think he shot 35% from three at Texas tech this last year on that solid amount of attempts per game. Like it's not completely broken. I think it's something that you can fix. And also too, he can already attack closeouts. Like he has, he needs to work on his right hand because he's does strictly all of his dribbling with his left hand. But again, he's a lefty
0: shooter uh, yeah. just so people know, like he's, yeah. he's a lefty shooter does everything left,
1: but he finishes all he finishes at the rim with his right hand, which is part of the issue too. Cause he needs to work on his right hand so that he can do that more comfortably because he'll have to bobble the ball a lot from his left to right as he goes to the rim which just makes for some awkward finishes but point being like this is a guy who is already capable of attacking closeouts if you work on that shot like I would rather draft somebody who I know can put the ball on the floor and get to the rim than somebody who's strictly a shooter because it's just it is easier to develop a shot than it is to develop a handle. Um, He's capable he's not an awesome playmaker but he's a capable guy who's going to make quick decisions which I like. I think quick decisions are so, it's such an important thing. I would rather have somebody who's going to make a quick decision and have it be wrong than somebody who waits a second and a half to make what they deem the right decision. Um, And he's, I mean, he's very athletic. He can punch it pretty, pretty damn well at the rim. Um, I just think that he's a guy who in terms of what the NBA is at now, like, I would be willing to take him with a first round pick for sure. Like I even contemplated lottery at times. Like I think he's going to be that good in in the NBA level. There are, again, like we mentioned, there are some things that he's going to have to iron out, but the only hiccup is that he might go back to Texas tech um, because a lot of people have been putting second round grades on him for, for, for some of the reasons we listed. I just think those reasons have been overrated and kind of um, take away from what he does do already. Like he would be a, uh, already an above-average uh, NBA wing defender if he came in and played day one. Um,
0: so I think that one of the things that's going to really hurt him is the track record of Texas Tech guards. Uh, their system has done a really good job of pro- of producing very young, athletic, capable guards that have been drafted pretty highly. Uh, Zaire Smith was a freak accidents that i I don't really know how to evaluate that but Jarek culver failing really miserably right now in minnesota has not really helped and jamias ramsey who's drafted to sacramento uh i i we we haven't seen hell or high water from him in a long time here uh and on a team like sacramento that's probably an issue uh but you can't just use that as an evaluation metric against terrence shannon like that's that's Unfair, completely. But one of the things, like I, like like you said, the shot is going to be the most important thing for him. It is the most important thing for every role player as they continue to try to get their way into the league. Like I really do think that it's more important than the defense in a lot of cases, despite the fact that coaches will say that they would prefer like a guy who they can trust on the defensive end, like Michael Malone would say that. But in the end, he played Marcus Howard exactly over a guy like Shaq Harrison because at times you just need the guy who's going to score baskets and and keep you in the game that way. So you're going to be able to get on the floor as a scorer and as a shooter, whether Terrence Shannon can do that consistently, whether he can stay efficient remains to be seen. Do you think his handle is good enough that he can operate DHOs operate off the dribble uh, and, and kind of navigate that direction?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, Like he ran a little bit of pick and roll at Texas tech and it wasn't bad. Uh, Like his shot is actually better from mid range than it is from three. He's just a lot more comfortable. Um, So he was able to get into some of that. I, uh, I mean, I do think that his handle is going to be good enough to, to attack uh, second side stuff. So if there's an already tilted floor, which is going to happen a lot with Jamal and, uh, and Jokic, like I think his handle is good enough where he can attack coming off the weak side and, and making decisions from there. And that's huge. Like, I, I like that a lot. I think, that's where the NBA is headed, like finding guys who can attack second side angles. is really important because it's less about like, I mean, even looking at uh, I think Phoenix is a really good example. Um, and I'm trying to think of who else right now. I, Phoenix is the one I would go to because having a, a a team that can keep plays alive instead of just like a one and done. Like you see with the Bucs sometimes like the Bucs kind of get to their first option and that's what they go with or, or they get to you know, they, they kick the ball around and then try and find something and they go with it. And, um, a lot of what Phoenix was, has been able to do is like, okay, they're able to keep the ball moving. Like if, if the ball gets kicked out to the weak side and there's an angle or like the initial penetration, it's about, all right. So let's say you create the initial advantage on your man and being able to leverage that into more and more until you actually get an opening at the rim or a good look. Um, so having guys who can, who can, who can continue that jeez. Um, and I think Terrence <laughs> okay. is going to be one of those guys.
0: I, I'm i hopeful on that front. I do think that for a team like Denver, especially like, like you, even adding MPJ to that, where you're tilting the floor, uh, Denver's going to have so many of these actions where they're going to use MPJ and Murray as screeners for each other while Jokic is just operating at the top of the key. And then if you pitch it over to Terrence Shannon when his man is closing out on him consistently, then... And just drive to the rim, get around his guy, and and potentially finish athletically. And that seems like a really good option for uh, a Nuggets team as they as they try to progress. So, and then six six with the the elite perimeter defense, as you said. You think that he can really get to that that elite point of attack level, like like a Mikhail Bridges or somebody like that?
1: Uh, I don't know about Mikhail Bridges because he's got. I mean, his wingspan's insane, and that does play True. a part. But in terms of a guy who can like, I I mean. McHale's a lot more about help defense the point of attack, too. Um, I mean, with Terrence, like, he's listed at 205. I think he's probably bigger than that. But, yeah, I mean, he's got a really strong base. He's good at getting low. Um, I think that he'll be an elite point of attack defender, and he already has really good help instincts. And, again, like you mentioned, that is a good thing to take note of. Like, Texas Tech plays a really funky defense um, compared to what people do in the NBA. But I think he's just – I would say he's different from Jarrett Culver in that way. Um, like I, I trust his confidence a lot more. Um, which is a, you know, it's a finicky thing to talk about, but yeah, that was an issue for Jared Culver at times at Texas tech. And that's unfortunately shown through, um, at the NBA level, but yeah, I do think he's going to get to a really high level of defense at the NBA.
0: I remember being on the, the team manager staff for South Carolina during their, their main runs back in like 2017, 2018, 19. Um, And they're very, very good at that point. And their offense was funky too. Like there's just a lot of stuff with their offense about their, they're exiting out to the wings. They're running a lot of uh, like less actions for three pointers than most college teams ever would do. So Uh, it's just very weird stuff in a, in a lot of cases, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what he can do. I, I, I listening to you. I have high hopes. He'll be up my board for sure. Um, Last guy though. Uh, I've kept you here way too long, Deuce McBride, uh, Miles McBride is, as he is known as on Sports Reference, but Deuce McBride just just sounds like if if you're going to be a basketball player and your your name is Deuce, your nickname is Deuce. That is that is perfect. That's great. <laughs>
1: yeah. So first of all, yeah. So the name is elite. Also has elite vibes. Uh, he's a he's technically a point guard. I would call him more of a combo, and he's honestly just a small wing Agreed. in some regards. Um, Agreed. That played at West Virginia. Um he I hate when people bring up that guy's played football um but he played football
0: um I think he, he was a, like he looks and plays like he played football exactly. which is good but he also has the skill set that like I'm I'm just very surprised that a guy like that shoots the way that he does but yeah. he looks and plays like he played football
1: Yeah I mean he's got a pretty good size wingspan and he's somebody who I trust to guard uh pretty much any guard and some wings like he can guard up a little bit and he's going to add functional mastering to the NBA level too. Um, I really like him as somebody like even not just fit. Like I have him, I think 25th on my board right now, 25th, 26th. So right around here. Um, like I like the biggest thing for him is he's a good pull-up shooter, um, which yeah. that is really important. Uh, he's capable of getting to the rim. He's very athletic, like we mentioned, and he's not an awesome passer, but I think he, he's like a good passer if he were to, um, pretty average passer to maybe a little bit subpar if he's playing as a one, Um, especially at the NBA level. He's definitely subpar as a one, but like the point being, I I, like, I think Denver wants guys who are going to be able to create more, but at at the same time, if you're drafting a 26, you're not getting somebody who's going to be a primary creator, like for 99% of the time, that's just how it's going to work. I think Deuce is somebody who you could, I think is going to be a starter in the NBA, um, especially if he gets to play next to somebody next to somebody like Jamal and playing off of, of, of Jokic, like he's a good cutter. Um, he's just a really smart basketball player, which is a, an overuse overused term at times, but like he's he makes quick decisions, he knows where to move on court, um, and has good skills that he can go to already. Like being a good pull-up shooter is, is important from both mid-range and and from three. He has that. Um, and also right. I just trust the defense, like having somebody who's going to be able to guard some of the elite guards in the NBA and maybe it's not at uh, like I I don't know if I I don't know how to project out if a guy's going to be all defense in the NBA um but I think Deuce has the capabilities to get there. Uh one of the knocks on him is his off-ball defense like it's not that like he's uh very good at being attentive to his man but he also won't leave his man. I think part of that was West, West Virginia's scheme. Um and he'll be asked to do more at the NBA level too but I, uh, yeah, I really like him. I think he's going to be fantastic at the
0: NBA level. Plus six wingspan that he measured at the NBA combine. That's a really good sign. Uh, Measured at six foot two and a half in shoes. But like, he's a guy that you'd be willing to play small with. Like you would, you would play him and Jamal next to each other as a starting unit. And, and he would guard the one could switch onto the 2 no problem but would you you'd want him as a guy who would just beat up the opposing team's point guard as much as possible but he's just such an athletic player and one of the things that really stands out that i i've liked with regard to jaden springer uh who i'm sure you're i'm, I'm sure you're a fan I of him. James i I, yeah, I, I would be shocked if right you don't. yeah uh the way he operates at the point of attack on the offensive end with contact and just being comfortable, I think that Miles McBride, Deuce McBride, has the same sort of setup, where despite the fact that he's contested, despite the fact that he's driving into, into the lane, going to get hit, he doesn't care. And having players that are like that, I feel are going to translate better to the NBA level than the ones that are a little bit too skinny, a little bit contact adverse, and maybe that's wrong. Maybe, maybe that's not the way that I should be approaching this, but he just seems like a guy who's willing to do it and is very confident in it.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's a really great point. And I I wouldn't go as far as saying that it's better. Um, but like when I look at a guy like Trey Man, like a lot of the reason he's taking step backs is because that's A, it's what he's comfortable with. And B, he I mean, he's 177 pounds at, at six foot four. Um, so yeah. he is pretty lanky right now. When I like when I look at a guy like Jaden Springer and, and, and Deuce McBride, like those are uh, my, my friend Jake Rosen wrote a really good piece at the in about, um, you know, talking about different types of functional athleticism and looking at like like I've had people reach out to me on why I'm so high on Jaden Springer and same thing with Deuce. And it's like it's because there are different like neither guy is really blowing by anybody with their first step or, or with their handle. But what they do have is elite power. Um, and having the power to generate separation is important. Like, that's a real thing. Like, I think it's less so about like, whenever we think about guys getting separation, we think about, you know, blowing by them with your handle and having elite quickness. Um, but it also exists in the, the, the way of being really strong and being able to knock somebody off base and get to your angle. And it's, it's harder that way for sure. But with guys like Springer and and Deuce who are already comfortable doing it and do it pretty well, like I'm, I'm confident
0: in it. I, those are going to be my guys, I think. Uh, one of the things that really stands out to me is Denver interviewed Deuce McBride at the Combine that I know of. Uh, they interviewed Zeke Nagy early in the process last year. Not something that I had necessarily considered, but they latched onto him, seemed like a good fit, and then they made it happen. Uh, Deuce McBride feels like a guy that Nuggets fans should be circling on draft night. Like I don't think he'll go in the teens, he could go in the twenties. Could be a guy that a lot of teams have as a second-round grade, but the right fit is what matters most. And I, I just think that he's a good enough and talented enough player that that's the guy that I think realistically Nuggets fans should be looking at. Just a guy who can replace their guard rotation a little bit, uh, get a little bit more athleticism, a little bit more physicality in there. And he may not be a big wing, but I mean they've got Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter. They can figure it out.
1: And I'm expecting a Zeke Najee breakout this year, so I'm excited. I think he'll be part of the rotation. He's he's good.
0: I'm looking forward to it, man. It's gonna be fun. Uh, it's gonna be really good. I have kept you so long. Uh, it is one o'clock on the East Coast, and I'm it's sure. It's all good, man. I had a fun uh, time. I I am sure you are you're just screaming internally in there, just despite the <laughs> no, fact dude, that I'm you actually.
1: I'm probably just going to brush my teeth and then watch The Sopranos for half an hour before I go to bed.
0: Hell yeah. That's a that's a yeah. good way to go. Uh, I just um,
1: started it uh, a couple days ago, so it's been awesome.
0: I have never watched The Sopranos. Um I I'm I'm sorry. Like it's just it's just man. I'm uncultured. very new I've to watched, a lot of these I've watched uncultured for two days
1: and my my uh, my culture is just at a much higher level than you. What can I say? <laughs>
0: I love it. I love it. Uh, Where can the people find you? What are you working on that you're excited to drop?
1: Yeah, you can find me at M Schindler MBA on Twitter. I have most of my stuff up there. Um, All my work is over at premiumhoops.org. I have a podcast over there. Just look up premium hoops or my name and uh, I'll come up. Um, And all my other stuff is up at Indie Corner as well. run the podcast there. Doing a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm hoping to have a draft profile on Terrence Shannon Jr. up by the end of this week. I've been watching a lot of games and taking notes, and just finished up my outline today. So, just uh, getting the typing part done. As you know, is always the uh, the exciting part. So, um, hopefully, we'll have that up soon. But yeah, I appreciate having me on, man. This is a blast.
0: Of course, uh, Mark goes into way better depth than I ever could. Uh, he is awesome. He's ex- excellent at what he does. Uh, one of his first, like not first pieces, but one of the, one of the pieces that I recognized from Mark uh, from this past year was his Aaron Gordon trade profile piece uh, back. It was, I think last year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It was um, like
1: right when the bubble happened, I think like just before. Yeah, that. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, that was one of the, when I, when I read that piece, it kind of certified my belief that Aaron Gordon would be a great fit for the Nuggets. And had Jamal Murray stayed healthy, I think that would have borne out. But is what it is. Uh, we, we love what you do, man. Uh, you're doing awesome work, so keep it up. And, uh, and you're going to keep going. appreciate it. You're going to keep going places. I know it. Um, for everybody else, thank you so much for tuning in. That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Make sure to check them out. Uh, use promo code MHS. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I'll talk to you guys on Friday.